but I won't. Good, good, but I won't. Hustle in the morning, ball, ball, ballin' all night. Hustle in the morning, bitch, 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 you wanna fight? Good, but I won't. Good, good, but I won't. Good, but I won't. Good, good, but I won't. Ha, ha, hustle in the morning, ball, ball, ballin' all night. Hustle in the morning, bitch, 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 you wanna fight? This episode was brought to you by William Mitchell Audio. William Mitchell Audio is currently working on a reality TV show about antiques. But if you're like me, you would never bring an antique into your home because it might have a ghost in it. Go to williammitchellaudio.com. My guest today is Ken Black. Ken Black has worked as a practitioner in the area of inclusive physical activity and disability sport for over 40 years. His career spans many roles and organizations, including the UK Sports Association for People with Learning Disability, the Leeds City Council Sports Development Team, the Youth Sport Trust, the Australian Sports Commission, and several research and education institutions, such as Loughborough University and the University of Worcester, where he recently chaired the organizing group that planned and hosted the European Congress of Adaptive Physical Activity in July 2018. He has authored several online video and activity resources used by youth sports and inclusive activity or organizations, and has also served as a trustee on the board of the Activity Alliance. In 2011, he launched the Inclusion Club with his Australian-based colleague, Peter Downs. The Inclusion Club is a website for practitioners working in inclusive physical activity and is used as a resource by individuals and professionals around the world. As well as working for the Inclusion Club, Ken Black is also an independent advisory for inclusive physical activity and disability sport. He has presented at numerous inclusive physical activity workshops around the world and worked on developing training resources and inclusion education standards for coaches. He is a Scot originally from Clydeback near Glasgow. That was a mouthful. What's up, Ken? <laughs> Thanks. Thanks, Doug. Um, and it's... Um... As the cowboy said when he went into the German car dealer's Audi. <laughs> <laughs> Howdy, Ken. Uh, so I'm sure I mispronounced a couple of things in there. How do you say uh, Loughborough? Yeah, pretty good. Loughborough. Um, I always remember when I was working there, uh, we had a lot of overseas students, and they could be found wandering around in nearby towns looking for somewhere called Luga Baruga. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and the other one that gets everybody is uh, uh, Worcester, W-R-C-E-S-T-R. -E looks like Worcester, but for some reason, it's pronounced Worcester. Worcester. Okay, because I knew I was saying that wrong. Because I was just because it looks like like Worcester sauce. Yeah, so yeah, that, yeah. I was like, that was like, All right, but we would say we would say Worcestershire sauce. <laughs> okay, so all Americans say it wrong. Oh, yeah, but. We, <laughs> I'm sure we get a lot of American terminology wrong as well. So I feel like, yeah, but you make it all, you'd make it sound cool when you do it. <laughs> <laughs> all right, man. I just wanted to say in preparation for this interview, uh, I watched the movie Braveheart with Mel Gibson okay. just because I know you're a Scottish dude and yeah, yeah. I wanted to get a little Scottish history up in my brain. And basically I feel like I'm kind of a Scottish historian now just from that. Have you, uh, have you ever seen the movie Braveheart? Oh, of course, yes, yeah. In fact, and weirdly, weirdly, it was on TV last night. Uh, that's just like really uh, spooky. Oh, it's synchronicity, <laughs> like, uh, man. Yeah, I, it's just a, a, a quick thing about Braveheart. Um, 
uh, they filmed uh, some of it in Scotland and also in Ireland. I think a lot of it in Ireland, you know, to get the, you know, the kind of old hills and the highlands and whatnot. And um, uh, Mel Gibson actually came to uh, to uh, Scotland to preview it. And uh, there were people asking questions, you know, when he arrived. And uh, one, one question was, you know, uh, I think it was from the William Wallace Historical Society. And they were very concerned that there would be no anachronisms or, uh, you know, distor distortions of uh, historical fact. Because uh, William Wallace is like the greatest hero, uh, you know, of Scotland, uh, him and uh, Robert right. the Bruce. Yeah. So uh, there was this incredible. So uh, Mel Gibson said, well, no, no, we've had a lot of historians and uh, who've been working on this uh, film, and we're absolutely sure that we've got it completely historically accurate, <laughs> especially the airport scenes. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, I always remember that uh, interview. But yes, yeah, that's... Uh, my folks live uh, in a little village uh, not far from Stirling, actually, which is where, uh, you know, a lot of the battles were fought. I, I honestly, uh, some, some of what I've uh, heard is that uh, Mel Gibson was never forgiven in Scotland for his, uh, how badly he did the Scottish accent, which is I, weird because he's, he's Australian. I mean, how hard is it to yeah. sh shift I, a little bit? <laughs> an Australian who's, who who became an American, uh, yeah, he um, but I, it wasn't too bad. I mean, it's it's uh, there's been a lot worse. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's been a lot worse than him. I guess the main thing that people complained about in uh in uh, in, in over here in the UK was uh, that he uh, they covered themselves in blue paint. Um, you know, for the for the uh, war, for the battle scenes. Yeah. Uh, what what's what used to be called wood? They painted themselves with wood. In fact, they they didn't they hadn't painted themselves with wood for about five hundred years. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it was um, it was a, a it was a tribe called the Picts, P I C T S, that used to paint themselves with wood. And uh, I I I don't think the the Highlanders. <laughs> Uh, ever did it but um it looked good on the screen yeah that's what they did it for they were like oh it'll look cool if they're wearing war paint yeah yeah <laughs> all right so uh actually we're gonna we're actually gonna come back to that later in the lightning round i don't know if you uh remember, remember from some other episodes but uh at the end of every episode there's a lightning round where i just it's just like rapid fire questions and we're gonna talk that's gonna come back up <laughs> but uh yeah i wanted to bring a couple more uh things up just uh moving forward to get to know you a little bit better. And then, uh, then we're going to talk about maybe some more serious stuff. But, uh, one question I had for you is, uh, so you've been to every continent on the planet except for Antarctica. Yes. Is that just because Antarctica is kind of a bullshit continent? <laughs> I reckon, I don't know. I'd love to go there, but, um, I think just the opportunities to, uh, run workshops on, uh, adapted physical activity, probably, limited i mean there's probably a few scientific stations and loads of penguins yeah. so I, I i i mean i'm sure there are some disabled penguins uh I, that might benefit but uh i i don't know <laughs> that's the one that's the one that i haven't managed to get to yet 
I mean, maybe someday. Let's hope. I want to go there. Let's go there together. Yeah, I'd love to go there. Actually, I'd love to go there. It's, uh, it's uh, and there's a lot of kind of you know uh, myth, not not even mythology. It's it's in uh, British history, you know, Scott of the Antarctic and uh, all that stuff. You know, you he was the, he was trying to be the first one to get to the South Pole, and he was racing against the guy from Norway. And uh, anyway, they didn't make it. And um, uh, when they got there, the Norwegian guy had got there first. And then on the way back, the weather closed in and uh, they all like died in a tent. And um, it was uh, so it was, uh, it's a kind of tragic, typically British tragic story, really, that we we kind of lionize people who failed. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, now that I think about it, man, I don't want to go to Antarctica anymore. I don't want to freeze. <laughs> no, uh, but, hey, I, <laughs> I have another travel question for you, man. Uh, so, I mean, since you've been over all, all over the world, I, th- I think you worked in 55 countries. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. Uh, since you've been so many places. Uh, what's the coolest bar you've ever been to in the world? And it could be in any country, man. Yeah, I, well, I, I've probably got two, actually. I'll probably get two. Um, uh, uh, one, is, um, one is in Singapore, uh, and it's called Muddy Murphy's. And it's a, a bar uh, at the end, a far end of Orchard Street. It's one of the main sort of uh, all the big shopping malls and things are off Orchard Street, but at the far end. And it's a sort of expat bar. I mean, it's, it's run by local people, but a lot of expats. And you quite often see uh, American service people in there, you know, um, if there are um, Navy ships in town, uh, sort of thing. But you see a lot of people in there and it's... <laughs> It's like uh, it's like the bar, and if you remember the film Airplane, at one point he goes in, he goes into a bar, and it's like you know, it's it's like somewhere on you know the China Seas or somewhere, and it's a bit like that. It is an eclectic mix of people that gather in there, and it's uh, I've always liked it, and um, I've even got. I've even got a Muddy Murphy rugby shirt somewhere uh, that I still own. The other one is um, the other one is in Australia, and it's right in the centre uh, in uh, the town of Alice Springs. Is that like in the outback? Is that what Alice Springs is is in Northern Territory, but it's in the very southern part of Northern Territory, and it's in what they call Central Australia. So basically. It, 1,500 miles in every direction from Alice Springs, there's nothing else. It's oh, just, yeah. <laughs> it's, a, it's an amazing town. Of course, people have a certain attitude about being there. But the, the, there's a fantastic pub in Alice Springs called Bojangles. And um, one of the things, and this is going back a long time when the internet was just starting. I mean, I, was, I worked in Australia 2002 to 2005, the first time. And then I, I went back a number of times to do projects but the first, that first time, so it's 20 years ago or so. Um, but um, even back then, they had this uh, 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 this system where you could go in and there were cameras all around the pub. So it was live streamed onto the internet all day. So basically, you could get your phone, your, uh, your you know mobile phone, we call it cell phone, and you could... Um, you could text somebody in the UK, for example, I, which what I did, and I'd say, uh, go on the website and I'll wave to you. So people in any country in the world, if you phoned them, they could go on the website 
and uh, they could look for you and you could wave. That was like I, just, a, I, always thought, I always thought that was amazing. It was like ahead of its time because like right now, uh, that's how people are kind of partying. Well, all, well, especially I don't know how things are going over there, but over here, like the the COVID nineteen thing is just blowing up. We're kind of like in the epicenter, epicenter, and yeah. right here in Nashville, Nashville's kind of like Point Nemo of this shit. But uh, so people are doing a lot of like parties, like uh, like how you know what we're doing right now with like a Zoom meeting. But you know, yeah. you get, but you get a shitload of your friends, and everyone's just drinking, but everyone's at home trying to stay, you know, trying yeah, to stay yeah. healthy. <laughs> I, I do one of those every week with some colleagues uh, that used I used to work with at University of Worcester, and we get together every Wednesday evening, and uh, we all sort of um, drink beer and talk uh, rubbish. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> all right. Uh, before I get into some more of these other questions, I thought we should shoot this one out first, and it really is just uh, you know, how did you get started in your career, and why did you choose this line of work? Yeah, I, well, what I, I always kind of say now is um, I think it chose me uh, because I, uh, I hadn't intended to do this kind of work. I was actually, uh, to cut a long story short, I was, um, I was living with friends in uh, the town of Bristol, southwest of where I live here. Uh, I live in the, the West Midlands of England at the moment, a, a beautiful town called Malvern. And anyway, I used to work in, I lived in Bristol with uh, friends of mine and I was waiting to go and do a postgraduate uh, degree uh, in Edinburgh. So I was just filling in time and doing odd jobs and, uh, you know, we were just having fun and stuff. And then I, uh, they, uh, I saw an advert for uh, a swimming teacher, swimming instructor, it said, uh, at a college for disabled students in Cheltenham. Cheltenham is sort of north of Bristol between here and Bristol. And uh, so I thought, yeah, I, I'm interested in that because swimming was my background. I was a swimmer and then I learned, you know, to be a teacher. And uh, so I had the qualifications, but I just hadn't used them. And so I decided to apply and I, I for some reason, they gave me the job. And right. so I contacted, uh, so I was responsible for uh, running the swim program for 120 uh, students with disabilities. Here in the UK, we say uh, the, the, the disabled people's advocacy movement prefers disabled people. Uh, other countries, I think like yourselves, it's people with disabilities. Uh, anyway, I, I, so I had 120 uh, uh, swimmers with this, uh, um, students with disabilities and I was responsible for the, their swim program and all kinds of different people. Uh, so I contacted Edinburgh and I said, look, uh, I'm actually quite interested to do this for a little while. So they said, I'll tell you what, we'll hold on to your post-grad place until next year. And uh, then you can come then. And um, I was I was at this uh, college for 10 years. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I never I never, ever got to Edinburgh. So uh, I was kind of glad because I think I'd have probably ended up uh, working in a sports centre or something wearing a suit so i was much happier as a (laughs) practitioner so i i kind of i always think it kind of chose me because after i'd been there a few months i thought yeah this is this is what i can do awesome uh i want to talk about inclusivity and what that word means in the context of your work uh like what does inclusivity mean in sports or physical education and also recreation and uh, as another part of that question, could you throw out a few examples for me? 
Because I know that inclusivity can mean different things in different uh, fields. Of course. uh, Basically, for for me, my involvement in inclusivity, so inclusion in physical activity and sport, was always on the basis of supporting the inclusion of uh, disabled people into physical activity and sport. So that that was my um, motivation, was to try and work with uh, colleagues who for who were sport providers, for example, so people who were running sports federations, or people who were working in school and education, uh, and for whom they, they they encountered difficulties in including uh, all young people in, say, physical education because um, they. I think one of the, one of the things when I was first doing this, and I say I go back forty years, uh, over forty years is that in education, um, legislation had come in in this country expecting schools to include all disabled children in all of their uh, subjects, uh, including physical education. But there was very little training or, or none at that time. There was no way that teachers could go and find out how they could do this. So uh, through various, uh, I've been lucky in the various roles that I've had uh, in this uh, work that I've been able to work to as a kind of advisor, if you like, and work with people to try and solve some of these issues about how they include kids in physical activity in sport in school or in sport, if it's a sports federation or it might be a sports club or, you know, for various uh, and I guess what you would say, sport and leisure providers, and trying to help them come to solutions on how they they can get people in, more involved. Um, <clears throat> the I guess the current uh, situation that we are in, in terms of the inclusion club, which is you know this platform, this uh, website that is designed to support practice, inclusive practice in physical activity and sport. Uh, is that we feel that we sh- we we really we're in a, there's an opportunity or really it's <clears throat> it's it's not even so much an opportunity it's something we must do is broaden the interpretation of inclusion so that it's not just about impairment but also about gender and sexuality and uh, ethnicity and so try to because the argument we you know we would make is that disabled people are also uh, women and men, boys and girls, they also um, have different uh, sexual orientation and they also have uh, different ethnicity. So, it's, you know, instead of compartmentalizing disabled people in uh, somewhere separate in a parallel universe, if you like, yeah. we, uh, we feel, you know, it's important to uh, bring all of this in. If we wanted to give an example one from way, way back. I worked with a sailing club in Yorkshire when I was working for Leeds City Council as their disability sport person. And um, they wanted to include more disabled people in their in their club activities. Um, and so I had to work with them to say, well, what, here are the advantages of having disabled people in your club, your sailing club. Uh, one is, it, it, if you just think of the mercenary point of view, it opens up uh, opportunities to apply for funds through the council. And so that, that was something that they did. And in fact, they, they were able to build new showers and changing rooms and also a jetty that you could put wheelchairs down to get into the boats. And 
So just by including disabled people initially in some come and try events, and then finally opening up their membership, they were able to improve the facilities of the sports club for everyone. That's and awesome. you know, that was, uh, that was a great thing. Many years later, when I was working, uh, you know, and really it's a philosophy I've taken into my work, uh, overseas work, if you like. So uh, if, I'm working, if I was working in the Pacific region, for example, I always tried to um, convince the, the local um, teachers and coaches and people I was working with that we should um, make inclusion, we should target the whole community of young people and not say, let's just get the disabled kids out and do stuff with them because then the disabled kids will always be separate. So we said, let's target all the kids and have, uh, you know, regardless of whether they have impairments or not, and bring and and target the activities um, to everyone in the community. And that way, uh, use uh, physical activity in sport as a vehicle for bringing uh, young people together who perhaps might not have had much uh, contact previously. One example I can give from that particular uh, period of my work was uh, in Tonga, uh, we always used to finish uh, the workshops. Uh, maybe they lasted a week or 10 days. And then we would always finish with an inclusive sports festival. And we would bring disabled and non-disabled kids in together. And the people who had been attend in attending the workshop, that included disabled people uh, who were um, uh, as part of the community. They were also learning to become teachers, if you like, uh, sports coaches. Uh, but we would bring these kids together. And I remember in Tonga, we brought a uh, school in, mostly young, uh, young girls. And we brought uh, uh, young people who were living in an institution, I think run by the Salvation Army or something. And uh, now Tonga isn't the biggest island in the, you know, in the world. It's, 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 a, it, you know, it's a whole, in fact, it's about 70 islands, I think. But the main island uh, isn't huge. And yet, the young girls from this school and the young people in this institution, uh, and they were all around about uh, early teens in terms of age, they had never met each other. They'd never met oh, each other wow. in a, a relatively small island. So yeah. by creating this uh, sport opportunity, we brought them together, and it was incredible to see the interaction between them and how that then began to grow to – so then beginning to establish a connection between the school and the, and the institution so that they would continue this afterwards. Isn't that, uh, <clears throat> I could be wrong because uh, I'm, I'm not in education, but isn't that the, when they meet the terms uh, opportunity versus access, isn't that, is that kind of what you're talking about? So you can create an opportunity for uh, people with, with the disabilities to participate in something, but if you don't create the access, yeah. Then uh, what's the point of creating the opportunity? Does that kind of make sense? Yeah. Well, you're you're trying to uh, you're trying to make uh, ch uh, you know create change across a wide uh, spectrum of things because uh, you have to um, create change in attitude, and the attitude can be uh, the the resistance to uh, integration or or in, uh, inclusive activity can be on both sides, and some people can be very protective of. Uh, of people with disabilities in a community and um, others, uh, sadly, and it's but it's just through lack of sort of exposure, if you like, to what's possible. 
there's cultural resistance in some countries where they would protect and have disabled people stay within the home and not expose them to, uh, um, uh, you know, to community view, if you like. <clears throat> that's dying out, and most of the countries I've worked in, that's that attitude is is decreasing rapidly at, uh, where it exists at all. A guy I was, I was going to bring up. There's, I mean, he's just one example. Uh, <clears throat> I'm going to say his name wrong because he's Brazilian. Oh, but, yeah. uh, shout out to uh, Italo Romano. He's a pro skater. Uh, okay. But it's, uh, I think it's kind of what you're saying is like uh, uh, the trying to prote- protect people or keep people separate, and it's giving people less of an opportunity to really. Uh, reach their potential and uh, Italo Romano he's incredible he's a he's an amazing pro skater he uh, he lost his legs in a train accident mm. uh, so he uses his hands to skate and he's yeah. and uh, I've seen him in a lot of uh, street skating videos but also he's uh, he, he competes in a lot of uh, contests that I guess the term is like able-bodied contest versus is that correct is that how it's well I, that's a bit of an old old-fashioned one now but i, I guess as see I, because the terminology differs around the world uh i mean some people use that um i guess it's uh, we would prefer probably non-disabled in this uh, in this that, country that sounds better i that's the thing is i think this is another uh as far as get, you know getting the education getting this stuff out there too because you know for me growing up uh, the word handicapped was the word uh, for, mm-hmm. I mean, most of, I mean, for, for my entire childhood. And that didn't change until I guess the nineties or yeah. even closer to 2000. It's, uh, uh, terminology, terminology was always, and I always remember, you know, early in my career, if you like, uh, you know, workshops and, and even be involved in, in developing watch workshops uh, to, to educate teachers or sports coaches or, or, people working, you know, in the community sport or, or, or volunteers. And terminology was such as, it was always um, seemed to be the first thing people wanted to talk about. Um, and, and yet, really, um, it's it, it, it can become a barrier in itself, um, you know, to, to progress because it's just, in the end, it's just semantics. And it's, it's important. It's very important to the, the uh, disability movement, if you like, that, that people are referred to in the way that dis- the disabled people or people with disabilities want to be referred to. Uh, so it's it's their choice, and it's it's, uh, it's the same as uh, people with different ethnicity. Uh, they have a view of, of how they should be uh, referred to and how they can refer to each other. Um, and, but um, it's it, and we that's what should be respected, and and not what other people think uh, it should be or. Uh, or whatnot. Um, I don't think it's such an, an issue now. I'd say people talk about inclusive activity, and um, they tend to, you know, know what they're talking about. You know, so it's it's become less of a less of an issue. Uh, and it's also, uh, you know, different parts of the world, uh, the terminology is different, and so you can end up with, uh, you know, I've been places where I've talked about disabled people and went and using an interpreter. And when that's translated into, say, Arabic or something, the people in the in the group would come back and say, "Yeah, that's not a good uh, word you're using." Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and translated into Arabic, it, it means disabled in the sense of not able. Yeah. You see what I mean? Yeah. So, uh, I, so I, 
you know, I, then you have to kind of explain the, the reasons why it's that in this country and stuff like that. But um, so it, it, you can get into all sorts of a minefield with terminology. Oh, absolutely. I just got, uh, and honestly, I, I agree with you entirely. It should be the, the choice of the people in the community, uh, the term, where the terminology comes from, and then everyone else should just use that terminology. And that's, I mean, I feel like it's, that's pretty simple. Hold up. It's time for an ad. This episode was brought to you in part by Airhorns. Airhorns can celebrate any occasion. I just adopted a dog. I just passed emission testing for my vehicle. I just got pre-approved for a predatory loan. Another one. I just got invited to a brisk. Cut it off. Cut it off. Cut it off. Use promo code my views are my own for 50% off your first air air horn. Yep. Now back to the interview. But hey, uh, I want to ask you if you could tell me another story. And uh, this time, uh, can you tell me a story about a story about something that happened at some point in your career or maybe something that somebody said to you uh, could have been maybe a parent of uh, a kid that you worked with or a student or a client that you worked with uh, that gave you one of those moments where you realize this is why I do this type of work. Yeah. Well, that's, I mean, I've got to say something quickly about uh, working with the, uh, the, um, the students at the, um, College. The college was called the National Star College, and it had been set up uh, uh, as a charity. Um, um, but it's not far from here where I live now. It's I could drive there in about half an hour. Um, but uh, but um, I tried to uh, develop all the swim opportunities that would be so teaching and competition and the aesthetic side of swimming. I ended up starting a synchronized swimming team, and that's partly my mother's fault because my mother has been, well, she's retired now, but she was instrumental uh, along with two other women in bringing synchronized swimming to the UK. I mean, that's that's her thing. And uh, she served on the FINA committee for synchronized swimming, you know, the international body for swimming. She was on the FINA technical committee for synchro for many, many years, and she was uh, a referee at the Olympics and uh, Commonwealth Games and stuff like that. Awesome. So I, I, couldn't, I couldn't not do synchronized swimming. And I think um, that just to work with uh, young uh, women, try to come up with, uh, try and get their input, come up with a piece of music they wanted to swim to, uh, to uh, try and then turn it into a kind of art form, to use the, te- the ability that they had so that we kept it all on the surface, none of this legs up in the air stuff, because some of them yeah. couldn't use their legs anyway. So we, we tended to do floating patterns. And uh, 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 even one of the girls was totally deaf. So we had to work out a system whereby she you know, was able to follow what was going on. She couldn't hear the music. And so you know, we worked out a system. I, there was times when I stood on the side of the pool. If we had like a, we had an annual swim event at the college, and a lot of guests came and uh, patrons of the college and stuff. And I, there would be times I'd stand watching that, and at that I'd think, "This, I, this is the best." This, yeah, that, is that sounds fun. Uh, so, uh, I, swimming is a fun sport too. That I, you know, 
you you kind of forget about it when the Olympics aren't around, but it's like, it's a cool sport. Yeah. I mean, that was my sport, but I just, as I say to, to just take, take it in a different direction, uh, try and enable these young women to, uh, you know, develop an interest, um, that wasn't about racing or, you know, that, that it was to do with the more of the aesthetics. Um, the other story I want to tell quickly, Doug, uh, there's been a wonderful TV uh, series, uh, I think on Netflix, although other providers are available, <laughs> I, um, that, um, about Michael Jordan. And uh, I think called The Last Dance or something. Is that, have you seen it there? Uh, I haven't, but I'm a, I mean, a huge it's, Michael Jordan fan. It's so. been an awesome, uh, it's, I think uh, it's, it's been on over recent, uh, last couple of months and people here uh, in the UK are just raving about it. Anybody that's uh, seen it have just said it's the best sports documentary ever made. I don't, I, I've seen, I don't know about that, but it's that's, pretty, a t- that's a tall order right there. Yeah, it's, it's pretty good. <laughs> I, I'd, I'd say, anyway, the reason that I mention it, is uh, just another story and I, another time when I just thought, you know, this is just the best. And I, I, I what, whatever I could else be doing in the world, you know, and working in the city of London, trying to earn pots of money or, you know, whatever, I, you know, this just was better. And it was, um, I worked for an organization called the Youth Sport Trust. So it was a youth sport agency. And my job was to ensure the inclusion of young disabled people in all of their programs. Um, and so I worked for them for six years. We were based over in uh, uh, this place, Loughborough, we mentioned earlier. Uh, and um, we had a deal with Nike. They provided us with a lot of uh, sponsorship and also uh, clothing and stuff like that. And they, in turn, wanted us to support them uh, with some of their events. So this is going back to probably uh, 2000-something like that, maybe before. And they opened uh, a big store in, I think, Oxford Street in London called Nike Town. And uh, this was their uh, showpiece store in London. And so they wanted to have a celebration uh, to um, to highlight the opening of the store. But what Nike do is they do, they do some kind of a community thing. They don't sort of just have open the store and have a lot of celebrities there. They do a big uh, community thing. So we went to um, they, they it was held at an outdoor sports centre in London. And it, it's right underneath the A40, um, um, which is a um, you know, motorway, if you like. And there's, so there's a flyover, you know, like the, the road goes over the top and the sports centre's underneath. And it's full of outdoor basketball courts and uh, um, uh, concrete tennis courts and stuff like that. And there's a couple of indoor areas as well. So uh, they invited loads of schools to assemble there and they put a big fence around it, you know, like it was really, because normally there isn't. And they put this big fence around and there were security cards, and it was all a little <laughs> bit sort of what's going on here. But um, anyway, Nike money. So my my job was to um, make sure that there were some schools there, uh, some uh, from special education. So I, I think uh, three schools from the London area with young young uh, people, young disabled people came, and uh, so I went down to the entrance to greet them when they were arriving. 
Uh, and this is before the events started. And we had all sorts of different sports coaches around running different activities. And um, that, so the kids sort of circulated around all these different activities in the sports centre um, and just had a great time. But anyway, the, the, this um, special transport came and a whole lot of uh, young kids got off who had physical impairment. Um, I think mostly cerebral palsy. And this little tiny guy came up to me. I mean, he probably was only uh, about uh, not even four feet high. A uh, little guy came up um, who clearly had, uh, he could walk, but he clearly had uh, CP. And the first thing he said to me was, well, I see Michael Jordan today. And and because there had been a rumor going around that might be possibly Jordan might show up, but, you know, but it was all... Um, shrouded in mystery. So I just said, well, you never know. I mean, just if you, if, uh, but you're not going to see him standing there, you know, come in and then <laughs> you, you'll, you'll. So he came in with the rest of his schoolmates and of course they went around all the different activities. Towards the end of the day, and, and there were quite uh, amazing other people there. So like Carl Lewis was there, for example. Oh, cool. and, uh, and, you know, people like that. But you know, in terms of young people at that time, uh, Jordan was just the most well-known athlete in the universe. I mean, it's nobody else has had the higher, a higher profile than Michael Jordan. And even in the UK where basketball is not a, a huge sport compared with it, yeah. but they just, you know, everybody wanted to wear the shoes and everything. So um, there was a message went round, gather round the basketball court. So, all the kids, and probably, I don't know how many kids, maybe a thousand kids, and they were all gathered around the basketball court. And um, I, I had uh, tried to reserve a space so that the kids in the wheelchairs and stuff could get near the front. Uh, and we were up one end. Anyway, uh, it was all went quiet. And then suddenly the crowd parted and walking through the crowd onto the basketball court was Michael Jordan. Oh, and, that's um, awesome. Of course, the kids just, <laughs> oh, man, they just, it, they, it was incredible. They were just, their mouths fell open. And all these young people from schools in London just went mad. But uh, so what, what he did was he was down the far end and he got some kids out of the crowd and they were doing uh, set shots and stuff and from the free throw line and whatnot. Um so I, I, that went on for quite a while, and he was obviously talking to kids as well while he was doing this. But I thought, you know, these kids here aren't seeing anything. So I kind of made my way down, and I knew the guy who was in charge of the whole event, and I just tapped him on the shoulder. And he was just kind of not far away from Michael Jordan. And I tapped him on the shoulder, and I said, look, um, all the disabled kids are up the other end. Is there any chance that Michael might uh, – and Michael Jordan – heard me I turned round immediately and just walked right up the other end I mean he didn't oh, say awesome. anything he just he acknowledged that he'd heard it and he just walked right up the other end and he got kids in wheelchairs out and they, he's doing all sorts of amazing you know helping them to take shots and uh, they, they were using full-size basketballs so it was kind of tough for the um if you think about shooting a basketball stood up uh it's 10 feet if you're sitting in a wheelchair, that adds on about another three feet to the throw, you know. So yeah. yeah. But uh, this anyway. Of course, what happened? The little kid who'd arrived uh, asking if he was going to see Michael Jordan 
Michael Jordan goes straight over to him and brings him onto the court and oh, by some magic. And the little kid is trying to take shots up into the basket and he's only going about th- th- two, two or three feet in the air. And in the end, Michael Jordan picked him up and held him over the basket and he dropped the ball. In. Oh, so he could dunk? At, at, at that moment, I just thought, this... It can't get any better than this. <laughs> it was just that was a, a great story. Moment. And I just thought, I wonder <laughs> that that little guy, uh, you know, just remembered that, I guess, forever sort of thing, you know. Um, but so it was just a wonderful moment. I, 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 those sort of things, those sort of things ha- have happened all through. Um, but those two particular ones just, uh, I just, they just jumped out into my uh, memory at that point. That was a fantastic story. So uh, thank you for telling that one, or uh, both of them, actually. Hold up. It's time to reach into the mailbag. Every week on this show, we reach into the mailbag to check and see if anyone has written into the show. This week, we have a letter from Jessica. Jessica wrote, Money flips are definitely real. This is not a scam, though some people have gotten their money taken before. It's completely up to the person you send your money to. I won't force you to flip your money with me. Just don't send your money to the wrong person, even though it's easy to flip. Everybody doesn't know how to do it, and some people are just pretending. All right. I just want to say thank you so much, uh, Jessica, for writing in the show. And uh, now back to the interview. Real quick, I want to talk uh, a little bit about your website. It's called uh, the Inclusion Club. Yep. And I encourage everyone listening to just check it out. Just Google it, the Inclusion Club. It'll come right up. It's the first thing that pops up. But I think it's uh, .com, right? Is it a .com? Yeah, it's just uh, theinclusionclub.com. Yeah. Yeah, go to theinclusionclub.com. And while you're there, uh, check out the Lockdown Games, <laughs> with, uh, Ken Black. <clears throat> and uh, I guess just real quick, man, can you explain to me what the, what the Lockdown Games are? Yeah, I, I, I guess as soon as we got into the situation where here in the UK, uh, certainly we were basically told we were, you know, uh, con- confined confined to barracks, uh, you know, for, you know, a, a period of months, um, apart from being able to go out for essential things. Um, so obviously um, this also applied to school kids and to uh, and, and particularly to young kids who might be at home, uh, maybe the kids who have impairments and they're living at home with their parents, not able to get into school and uh, have access to activity or um, see any of their friends. So I just thought, well, you know, I'm here at home. I've got some time on my hands. I can maybe uh, put some activities together uh, and uh, share those on the site, and then what I did then was try to send the link to as many of my colleagues uh, around the world as I could, um, and uh, hope that they would be able to then share and turn the link with the uh, people that they were working with. So, um, so it's just it's just get an inclusive games that you can do at home in and around the your home environment using um, simple equipment and bits and pieces that you might have lying around. So, you know, uh, newspapers, empty plastic water bottles, um, that sort of stuff. You, know, I remember, uh, you were saying, like, if you didn't have any balls, uh, you could just, like, take a bunch of 
old newspapers, shove them in a plastic bag, tie it off, and you got and boom, you made yeah. a ball. And there's yeah. a there's a pretty funny joke on there too. You're like, because you were saying, uh, uh, you're using old newspapers. I'm like, oh, this one's really old. And you're like, oh shit, the Beatles broke up. I remember that from one of your uh, from one of your clips. <laughs> I know. I, I, I can't resist trying to put some. Uh, I I, th- I always think humor. I, I mean, if you can put some humor in, I'd, like if you've got no one to play with, I said, well, why don't you invent somebody to play with? You know, and so I dressed up as somebody else so I could play against myself, if you like. Nice. So that, <laughs> but um, so there's a bunch of different games. Uh, the the most recent one I put up. Uh, was um, really aimed at those kids with more profound and complex needs and those people who are supporting them. And so could they uh, do some simple activity to keep them stimulated? Um, You know, because what happens is that uh, kids, a lot of kids, when they've not got the access to physical activity away from the house, they, they can often end up spending a lot of screen time. They just end up watching screens of various descriptions. And uh, not actually, um, you know, burning off any excess energy, so uh, or stimulating the mind in different ways. So that was it. That's the idea behind it. But there's loads of other episodes on there as well that go back uh, to when we started. We started it in 2011. So next year is our 10 year anniversary. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. And uh, I actually I was I uh, was going to ask too. Uh, you're going to be upgrading the website soon is that yes correct? we're we're um we, we had to talk about it uh, yesterday we're um we're going to make it simpler for uh we've always had contributions from other people you know we've all got a network of people are in different parts of the world that we've you know that we keep in touch with and people have contributed over the years so but we want to make that easier for people to contribute so we're we're streamlining the site it'll be much easier to upload content uh, for consideration by the editorial board and also we want to broaden the number of people that are involved in as contributors and as editors so we want to get more people involved in helping to run the site cool so yeah once again i want to tell everybody listening like uh i mean because the website is great right now as it is so go ahead and check out the inclusionclub.com and then obviously we'll be seeing a, a new website that'll be even better uh i gotta be honest man we're getting dangerously close to the lightning round. Okay, so, can I ask you a quick? Can I ask you a quick one, Doug? Yeah, yeah. I, I think you've mentioned you're a, you've been a PE teacher. Is that the case? Uh, I will. I will. Not exactly. I was in. Uh, do you know what AmeriCorps is? Uh, like, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, sorry. It's a. Yes. Yes. It's like the, the domestic peace corps. So I guess to explain it, the AmeriCorps is like the domestic peace corps. So you do a lot of what you would do in the peace corps, but you don't leave the United States. Yes, and yeah, yeah, I was yeah. in the America or in Triple C, so they put me on a team of eleven people, and I did several projects. So I built a lot of houses for Habitat for Humanity as a crew chief. Yeah, uh, and uh, we did some uh, hurricane relief. Uh, there was a few things that happened, but uh, yeah. what you're talking about was when uh, I worked at a charter school in Washington D.C. Mm. And there wasn't really a specific thing that was like. I mean, it's like I found my place or, or the people, the, the teachers and the administration found my place for me there. Mm. It wasn't exactly PE. It was more like, a, I mean, yeah, I mean, but the, the school didn't have a PE class. So yeah. it was more like they uh, just turned recess into something a little more, a little more organized with me in charge. 
<laughs> I, I just wondered if you had had any um, contact yourself with uh, young people with uh, physical or sensory or intellectual impairments and like how did you include them and stuff? I did not have that experience when I was uh, working at that school. So, so no. Okay. <laughs> no, I, I guess I, what, what I'm getting at is that, uh, you know, we sh- I, it'd be great if we can make sure that that's, you know, when people are being trained, you know, whatever it is, as a volunteer, as a teacher, as a sports coach, that they just receive that as a matter of course. They receive input on how to be inclusive as part of their training. And it's just, it's not even like, um, it's not even like something added on or a special thing. It's just part of the training everybody gets. And I suppose that's a goal of us, when I say us, my colleagues and I, uh, not just in the inclusion club, but in other networks that I'm involved with. And we just want to see a time when uh, people just, it's, it's just uh, part of people's education. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, I've had experiences like uh, uh, in jobs and stuff. Uh, I was a lifeguard at a re- at a rehabilitation pool, so uh, it was. I mean, for a lifeguard job, it was one of the best ones you could get because I didn't have to pay a lot. I all you know, I've had lifeguard jobs where you got to sit in the chair and you got to stare at the pool <laughs> nonstop, and it's really hard to focus after a while. But this was a little bit better because most people when they came in, they came in with a physical therapist or uh, something of that nature, or mm-hmm. someone uh, someone like of a medical background that was helping them. Uh, and I guess, I, I don't know if that's a, a good example other than the fact that I, I worked there and, you know, I'd get in the pool and screw around and stuff with, with people that were like, had, uh, you know, a, a lot of it was people that had serious injuries or, uh, had to have, uh, like replacements and stuff like that. And yeah, you know, that was a shitty example. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's- but, uh, yeah, it's, it's exposure, I think. And, of course, we went, you know, when I was starting off in this line of work, um, there was very little exposure of disabled people, even in the community. You didn't see people with disabilities so much. Um, yeah. I think uh, more so after, uh, certainly in your case, Vietnam, in our case, uh, the, the two Iraq wars and uh, whatnot, more and more uh, evidence of people in the community who had, uh, who had been in the military. Yeah. Um, and so that that was part of it. But, um, you know, I worked mostly, in, uh, I guess, uh, with young people who had congenital impairments. So they've been born with their impairments or yeah. people who acquired it through, say, road traffic accidents and stuff. Uh, and so uh, their story was different in that they didn't know anything. They hadn't they, they, they didn't know any different to the way they were. And they were. You know, there's many ways they were comfortable in their own skin because that's the way they were. And yeah. it's just, you know, it's just accepting that. Uh, others who had acquired impairment, they uh, obviously had a period of grief where they have to get over the fact that they've, they've lost something, an ability or how to use a, a limb or limbs and then uh, re-educating themselves, coming to terms and try to find something positive that, uh, to move forward. Yeah. Well, uh, I'm sorry that my answer to your question was kind of lame. And also, I was just <laughs> nobody ever asked me questions on this show. So I was like, uh, uh. <laughs> I was just interested. <laughs> All right, Ken, man, we are, we've come to the time for the lightning round. Uh, okay. And as you know, it's a, uh, it's rapid fire questions. You got to do gut reactions. No time to think. 
Uh, I'm going to give you the name of a person or a character that once performed a Scottish accent. And you are going to tell me on a scale from one to ten how believable that accent uh, was from a Scottish perspective. If you don't know who I'm talking about, just say pass. Okay. Maybe, or maybe I'll give him a, a score if I feel like I, you know, if I got to say okay. it. <laughs> All right. We're going to jump right in. Uh, we brought this dude up earlier. Mel Gibson playing Sir William Wallace in the movie Braveheart. Is this out of 10? You gave him a 10? No, is this out of 10? Oh, out of 10. Yeah. One, one is, it is garbage. It's the worst ever. Yeah. Uh, 10 is unmistakable from a real Scottish accent. Yeah, I, 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 I'd say I'm, I'm sort of reasonably, I'd say a five or a six, a six, I think. I'll be generous. I think it wasn't the worst. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I guess even if he had only done an, his Australian accent, a lot of people wouldn't know the difference over here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, often, uh, quite often I'm asked if I'm Irish. That's, uh, you know, that's um, uh, if I'm somewhere else. But um, anyway. Yeah, there's a lot of similarities, of course, and some similarities. I heard that uh, Sean Connery did the worst Irish accent of all time in The Untouchables. That's pretty, yeah. And uh, well, the thing about Sean is he just uses the same accent, and so he is. <laughs> apart from a few words that he might throw in, um, it, he, he's never, as far as I'm aware, he's only ever used his Edinburgh accent. He's from <laughs> Edinburgh originally. But they always say, the funniest story I, I can always think about Sean Connery is he's having a conversation with Roger Moore. And uh, um, I think he sadly died this year, Roger Moore. But they, um, and uh, Roger Moore is saying, you know, uh, Sean, uh, when, I, uh, when, when Ian Fleming was writing the Bond books, he always, he always managed, imagined a, an English actor to play Bond. And you're not English. And Sean Connery says, Yes, Roger, but you're not an actor. <laughs> oh, damn. <laughs> Ice cold. All right. Uh, Shrek in the movie Shrek. Yeah, pretty good. I'd go well, eight, probably. I think seven, eight. I, I think uh, Mike Mars, pretty, pretty good. I think it's <laughs> Get the out of your donkey. <laughs> yeah, I think it's the connection. Um, his mum was Scottish, so he had a start, I think. I guess you could say uh, not just Shrek, but Mike Myers and like, He's done a Scottish accent in like every movie he's done. Yeah, uh, yeah. And well, he married I mean, murderer. His dad is Scottish, and he's also played by Mike Myers. Yeah, uh, and notably, uh, notably, fat bastard. Of fat course, bastard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's uh, that's pretty good, actually. All right, <laughs> so we're gonna we're gonna give uh, we're gonna give Mike Myers. I'd, like I'd give a mate, probably. Yeah, probably pretty good. I'm happy with that. I've always. I mean, first of all, I love Shrek, so I'm I'm glad he gets a good point on that. Uh, here's another guy that I do love, but I don't know if I love his accent. Uh, Robin Williams in Mrs. Doubtfire. Oh, no, 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 awful. <laughs> I, know, I know he got lessons from Billy Connolly, but uh, no, I'd, uh, three or four, uh, it's not, <laughs> not good. I, I think the other thing about, um, about uh, Rod, Robin Williams, Robin Williams, um, may rest in peace. Uh, the, the thing that put people in Scotland off was that he, um, uh, all the way through the film, he refers to himself as coming from England. Oh and my God. That, so that really annoyed Scottish people. He was using a Scottish accent and he, <laughs> when, when he arrives at the house, he says, oh yes, I'm from England. 
And uh, that, <laughs> I, I, I know it's a generic use of the word England for the whole of Britain yeah. uh, in America. You know, like you, you, you say, you say England, you really mean <laughs> you know, but uh, it kind of irritates the other three countries. You know, the <laughs> I'm gonna lie, I, I love Robin Williams, but that's not one of my favorite movies. No, no, I think oh, three maybe not great. <laughs> All right, Robin Williams is a three, and I, that's fair. All right, here we go. This one, people have a serious opinion about this. Uh, Scotty from Star Trek, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I I actually think uh, James Dune's pretty good. I I would give him eight. I, I, I think eight. oh he gets an eight. I think so. Be, be, really, uh, it's interesting because actually he was an Irish Canadian. But uh, um, kind of taking him old captain. <laughs> I think yeah, but I think actually if you listen consistently, if you listen to a lot of episodes, yeah, it's not bad. I mean it's 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 kind of pantomime Scottish. But I, mean, I, I was like, I thought yeah. seven probably. Is, it, I don't think he w- it was. I thought it was pretty good effort, really. And um, you know, so I, I, I no, I know they kind of beam me up and all that. <laughs> so, um, but um, no, I thought, I thought he. I always thought it wasn't too bad. I, I, maybe I'm. I've been living away from Scotland too long. I haven't lived there for forty-one years. <laughs> <laughs> all right, uh, moving on to. Uh... Ewan McGregor as Obi Wan Kenobi in Star Wars: Phantom Menace. Yeah, but he's just using his own accent. I know <laughs> that's a trick question. <laughs> it would be really bad if he if he if he didn't have a Scottish accent. All right, I think so we're, we're going to give one him of the things he, he was trying to do in that film was he was trying to sound like Alec Guinness. You know, Alec Guinness played Obi Wan in the first one. Yeah, and so he was kind of trying to sound a bit like Alec Guinness, so so he was modifying his own accent a bit. So we're gonna give him a, we'll give him a nine. He was almost all the way there. Well, yeah, he's he's got you. But <laughs> 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 if you want a really good Ewan McGregor accent, then watch um, Train Spotting. I love Train Spotting. So I yeah. almost brought that up, but I felt like it was too easy. <laughs> uh, next one coming up. <clears throat> this is a tough one. The Scottish Terrier from Lady and the Tramp. Oh, actually, I can't remember. I can't remember that, actually. I've can I've seen the film, but I think probably when I was about, uh, you know, 12 or something. I remember the song he sings. He likes to, he hides bones. And he's like, I hide me bonny, bonny, bone in me bonny, bonny hole. And it's like, that's, the, I don't know. Sorry, I have to pass on that. I can't remember it at all. I'm gonna I, give it I've a- got this, you know, as you get older, uh, Doug, there's three things happen. One is you lose your memory, and <laughs> I, I, I can't remember what the other two are. <laughs> <laughs> I'm already losing the shit. I honestly, it's, <laughs> that was a bad, oh, here's a, here's a good one, though. I like this one. So we're going to go ahead and give that one a pass. Yeah. Uh, Harrison Ford in Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade when he's trying to pretend like he's a Scottish Lord to trick the Nazis. And I don't know if you remember this scene, but he's like, I'm here to view the tapestries. (laughs) No, no, it was, uh, yeah. What's the, even worse than Robin Williams. (laughs) Uh, Two, maybe. I gotta say, I do love the, the Nazis reaction when the, the Nazi goes, if you are Scottish Lord, then I am Mickey Mouse. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. 
here's another, I guess, gimme. Sean Connery in Indiana Jones in The Last Crusade when he's Indiana Jones' dad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's, well, <laughs> it's got to be a 10. I mean, otherwise, <laughs> what's he doing? <laughs> I mean, I can't get you with these trick questions. That's cool. I'm done with the trick questions, though. Uh, all right, next one. Here's a good one. Uh, groundskeeper Willie from The Simpsons. Yeah, that's... That, yeah, I actually think it's not bad. Uh, I mean, I always think it's sort of like... Um, but what you've got to remember is it's it's an angry Scottish accent. Yeah. So it's it's like... if it's on, It works when he's... If it's somebody angry, and a Scottish angry person, that would be pretty good. So it's, uh, I don't know, six or seven, I reckon. Um, <laughs> All right. If he was... Um, if it was, I think it's a it's a parody of a Scottish accent. That's what they're uh, that's what they're aiming for. I think. All right, uh, <laughs> last one, and this one, I, I'm really curious to hear what you have to say. Uh, Gimli, the dwarf from Lord of the Rings. Oh yeah, yeah. Do you know what's weird about that? That it's just, yeah, it's pretty poor. I mean, it's like a four <laughs> or something. I, but what's really weird about that, and I've never known why he chose to use a Scottish accent. Because the actor that plays Gimli is Welsh. Oh my! I mean, gosh. I, I don't understand. He's a Welshman. I, I, why not just use a Welsh accent? Here's a, here's a bizarre, uh, little-known fact about that actor. He also was in Indiana Jones. Yes, he played uh, the Egyptian excavator, who was uh, Indiana Jones's buddy, helping him get the uh, lost ark. That's it. Yeah, yeah. So, I yeah. mean. At least he can believably be a bunch of different shit. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, the, uh, why he chose to do Gimli as a, Scot- a Scotsman, I've got no idea. Maybe they thought people that want down mines. It would make more sense if he'd done it in Welsh. Yeah. Because Wales, Wales is famous for mines, for mining. Maybe Peter <laughs> Jackson was just like, you're Scottish, do it. <laughs> <laughs> it, just, it doesn't, it's never made sense to me, but never mind. I'll, All right. Well, uh, what are we gonna give him a two? Yeah, poor. Yeah, two or three max. Yeah, <laughs> three max. Get out of here, Gimli. <laughs> we don't need your axe. <laughs> no, no. Do Welsh next time. All right, uh, Ken. It's been a pleasure having you on the show. Thank you so much for coming on. Uh, no once again, everybody, check out theinclusionclub.com. Uh, oh, and also, man. Uh, Anything else that they need to check out that you should that you want to go ahead and let no, me know? No, that'd be great if, they, if people just go there and there's links to loads of other uh, stuff going on. Um, so, yeah. All right. Sounds great. Uh, Ken, thank you so much for being on the show. Oh, thanks, Doug. It's been super. I've really enjoyed it.